Welcome to the Jay and Pav podcast experience. Please grab a coffee, set down your marking, and embark on this playful, fun, yet genuine listening experience on education. And now, Jim Guy and Wonder Woman. Hey everyone, welcome to the staff room. My name is Pav and I am half of the dynamic duo that makes up the staff room. I'll introduce my other half in just a moment. Thank you for joining us today for our 12th episode of our first season. I'm always in such awe at the fact that we've made it to our 12th episode. I can't believe it. It's incredible. It leaves me speechless every time, every time we think about it. Today for episode 12, we will be talking about teacher vulnerability and uh, some of the benefits that we can get out of that and what we've seen in our own classrooms and in our own experiences. Before we get into that, though, let me introduce you to my partner, uh, Che. Che is sitting right next to me. Jay, why don't you introduce yourself? It's not about what you can do for the staff room, but it's about what the staff room with Che and Pav can do for you. And welcome to the staff room with Wander and Chaney. We are talking about teacher vulnerability this week. I can't wait to talk about this topic because it's new and it's fresh. And it's certainly the changing pedagogy of teaching is really needing to embrace the way to be vulnerable in your classroom to better your class. So what is vulnerability? Vulnerability is, you know, letting yourself sort of, um, you know, be a little out of your comfort zone with your classroom. It's not always being in charge. It's not always micromanaging everything that's happening in the classroom. It's not about your stoicism. It's not about always being perfect with your class. It's allowing them to be able to see that, in fact, you're not perfect and that you do make mistakes and that, you know, there are things that you're not good at. Uh, it lets people see that you are, are human and you're a teacher and you're learning as you go as well. Uh, and so I believe that it allows, it, it really gives teachers that human aspect that students really gravitate towards. And I think they really appreciate it in the end um, in, in seeing that teachers are actually not perfect essentially. Add to that? I don't know about that. Che is pretty... Once you said not perfect, like, pardon me! I'm out. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. It's like a staff meeting. <laughs> but the whole point, where we want to get to with this episode, or sort of draw some conclusions or make some statement, is that we want to get to the point where we are comfortable being vulnerable, but for the sole purpose of making sure our students are getting the best possible learning experiences. Us being vulnerable and us being reflective and us questioning ourselves is all about empowering our students, creating a safe space, a comfy space, a space that is maximizing learning. So when we talk about us being vulnerable, it is really about getting students to their absolute maximum potential in the classroom. And that's the way reason we need to be vulnerable. We need to show our weaknesses. We need not to think that we need to dictate and be in control. Che, do you feel like in the past uh, 27 years that you've been teaching that you have become more vulnerable 
in your teaching than when you started? Would you say reflectively that you are now more vulnerable in your teaching practice than when you started? Well, back in 1956, the teaching pedagogy was a little different back then. <laughs> yes. You know what? Certainly, as pedagogies change, being constantly in tune with what's out there and what we need to do as a teacher and an engaged teacher wanting to learn, obviously I've become more aware of why it's important to be vulnerable. And I think in a lot of these pedagogies, it's really understanding why we do things. Way back when, I was far more stern, far more strict, and being stern or strict has a place here and there, but ultimately in reflection, I can go, I use those tactics because they were easy to employ and easy to enforce. Everything was black or white, and I could just make a decision, make a decision, could justify that I didn't need to reflect in a certain situation or I didn't need to hear student voice. I was the teacher. Rule number one, I am right. Rule number two, revert back to rule number one. I'm always right. And all ultimately, I over-exaggerate that. Now, in my first five, six, seven, eight, nine years, I could feel I probably taught like that or was ruled by that for a couple of reasons. One, you sort of thought that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And then two, didn't have enough knowledge or understanding or trust in my skill set to know why I should be different. I am by far a much more vulnerable teacher now than I've ever been. I absolutely agree with you. And I think something that you said is is totally correct in that um, the comfort level that you have with your teaching also dictates whether you're going to be vulnerable or not. Once When you're starting out as a teacher, and I know this in my own experience as well, you're, you're not very comfortable with your own skill set. And therefore, you revert back to a little bit more of that strictness in your class and that micromanaging of things that are happening in your classroom and uh, making sure you have your thumb over the over the class all the time. And I, and I certainly found that to be the case for myself as well. I do find that even now, when I don't feel entirely comfortable with the situation that I'm in and I don't feel like I have as much control over the outcome of the scenario, I, I tend to revert back to being less of the vulnerable teacher but and more of the controlling and um, I need to be on top of everything. I need to be in control of everything in this situation um, because I can't afford to let things go wrong. In a, in a scenario where I'm not entirely comfortable with what I'm doing. So I still find that to be the case. But in terms of my, my uh, classroom management skills or my classroom curriculum or my program that I run in my class, I've become so much more comfortable that I have let go of a lot of the things that I used to do in the past in order to get control over my uh, learning environment. And so that, that has definitely changed for me over over the past 13 years as well. So I can totally agree with you in that regard. What was that, 1967? Uh, no, like... 69. Like four years ago. I'm going to jump in and let's talk about what is actual being a vulnerable teacher mean? What character traits are we talking about? We use a nice word like vulnerable, got lots of syllables, mm. but it can have lots of interpretation. And when we use the word don't count how many syllables it is. I just get, I'm, I'm the gym guy. I do a lot of guessing when it comes to number work. Um, except in the score in a volleyball game, when it matters, then I'm very precise on, you know, it's not maybe 25 points. I scored 25 points, ref. Vulnerable. It's about being a risk taker in your classroom with your lessons, with your activities. You have to be a risk taker. You have to be okay with your lesson not working. So let's be a risk taker. Exposing our limits 
we have to be really good showing students or letting students see that we have a limit to what we can do in the classroom or what we can do in certain subject matters. I think that's key to teacher vulnerability. And then ultimately, probably the one we hear all the time, not afraid of failure. I'm going to embrace that failure. And for me, vulnerability is those three, three key things. Ability to risk take, really showing off my limits and embracing those limits. I do have limits. I want my students to know those limits. And then not afraid of failure. Just absolutely will eat it if I make a mistake. But if I've set up the classroom right and they see me as vulnerable and they know that that's part of the culture of the classroom, they're not going to take you down. I think as much as we talk about we're vulnerable for our students, we're vulnerable for our class culture. We set up such a great learning space, safe space. Uh, the relationships create such a classroom culture that these things aren't going to tear you apart. So it's about being vulnerable for you, maximize student learning. It is facilitated by a, a very safe learning space. And when you have that, then you can be those things on a more easier level. You don't feel afraid of failure as much because you know you're just not going to be persecuted for it. That's right. I, I can think back to some uh, examples of when I started teaching and, you know, if I was stumped by a math problem in front of the class and I was just completely a student had a problem with a math question for homework and, you know, we're taking up homework and they say, I had a real hard time with question number seven. Okay, let's do question number seven together. And I'm, and I'm trying it and I'm realizing as I'm doing the question with them on the board, I don't know how to do this question. I'm stumped by it. And I can think back to times when that, that happened and I'd start sweating. I'd start stuttering. I would be like, uh, 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 let, me, let me go back into the lesson and see if we can figure this out. I'd be checking the answer key and, and I'd, just, I'd lose control of the situation. And I'm imagining my class just laughing at me or saying, wow, she's our teacher. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And I... I'm not to say not it's not to say that I don't get stumped by questions anymore. In fact, I get stumped quite a bit. But we've turned it into now my class understands that I'm not going to be able to get everything right away and that it's part of the struggle and that we do want to work towards you know discovering things together and working through challenges together and they understand that now and I don't feel uncomfortable about it anymore. It's part of my own growth, my own vulnerability, something that I have gotten better at over the years teaching. And everybody's perfectly comfortable knowing that, you know, sometimes we get things and sometimes we're stumped by things. I've had students that have helped me to figure out questions and answers and we've worked together. Uh, Ms. Wander, no, you actually did that incorrectly. Oops, my bad. I'm sorry. You're right. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I, I appreciate it. And sometimes... You know, they know a lot more than than we do in the classroom. And it's rewarding to get that back. But you have to be willing as the teacher to know that sometimes that's that's going to happen and you have to be comfortable with that and you have to be okay with that. And you have to let the students know that as well because it'll in turn help them them be more comfortable with their failure as well. Great points. I want to add on, how as a teacher do I get myself in a position to be vulnerable? It's one thing to just say, oh, I'll just be vulnerable, I'll accept a mistake. But how do you build sort of that uh, rapport with your students that you can do it? And I want to talk about a word that we haven't really mentioned yet is passionate. You have to bring passion to the classroom, but don't fake passion. Don't fake it. Bring your passion to the classroom. Bring who you are to the classroom. If you have a real 
a poetic flair, then be that in the classroom. It, it just expose that to your students in the sense that you are just intermingling with words all the time. If you're athletic, be athletic in your room. Don't feel you got to fake your passion or passion has to be the same amongst all teachers. Bring who you are to the room. Kids, we want our students to be giving themselves all out there. We want to see them for everything they have. But if you want them to be passionate about education, they need to see you as passionate about teaching and not so much just the teaching component, passionate as a human being. Show them you are passionate. Bring your passions, your love for anything and everything to the classroom. And that, I think, is the first ingredient to be vulnerable as a teacher, is that you are willing to bring all your passions in the room. And some students will love that passion. They'll gravitate to it. And the other students, they might, might be something that's a little corny, maybe something they're not totally into. But to their core, they will appreciate the passion. They will know that you are bringing yourself to the room. And I think that's the first ingredient to being vulnerable is just tapping into your passions, bring them in. Don't fake it. Don't fake vulnerability. Just give yourself to your room. It's the authenticity. It's uh, that passion and everything that you bring to, into the classroom. It brings so much authenticity into the work that you're doing with your students. Revealing who you are, bringing the things that you love and the way that you love to do things in your classroom, that will resonate with your class. And they will be able to see your excitement and your passion and the things that you love about teaching and the things that you love uh, in order to teach the things that you love to teach. That You can't fake that. You can't fake authenticity. And the students pick up on that. They, they run with your drive. They run with your passion. And it allows them to bring that, just as Chase said, bring that back into the classroom for you. And the second you have that student passion and that the, the things that they love to do in the classroom, that's where you get the voice. That's where you get all of your student voice enhancing the, the community and the culture that you have worked so hard to build in your classroom as well. Good point. I want to tap into that. We're talking about vulnerability and risk-taking, but how does it impact learning? How do I get my students, or what do I expect to see from my students when they are witnessing vulnerability and thus willing to be vulnerable? You know, we had a guest in our school a few weeks ago, Patrick Walters, a poet, and he went through all the things you need to be a poet. You need step one, step two, step three. He didn't talk like that. Yeah, I think he talked like he's that. He's a real yeah. poet. Um, <laughs> not that if you're a poet and you talk like that, there's anything wrong with that. If I put my foot in my mouth and I can't get out of this hole, help me get out. Patrick Walters is a wonderful person and he is going to forgive you for that. <laughs> he probably he probably just un unliked me on Instagram, unfriended me on Instagram instantaneously. But you know what? He was passionate and he came in and he went through all the details of students of how to make great poetry. And he had all the, you know, the checkpoints, the checkpoints. But then he ended on one valuable, valuable point. And he said, the barrier to you being creative is vulnerability. He said, if you are unwilling to be vulnerable, unwilling to put yourself out there, unwilling to make that mistake, unwilling to take possible ridicule, you'll never be creative. You won't find it. He says creativity is not a series of steps. And in our students, we always think we want students to think outside the box or deeper inside the box. I don't know. I've never actually seen this box, but we keep referring to it all the time. But we want our students to be these creative, wonderful problem solvers. But we don't – and we just – we think we can give them just a list of things they can do. And once they get that list, they've got it. But they truly don't. That ingredient for student success, student creativity, students doing something, wow, is vulnerability. So when I, we sit here and we talk about vulnerability and you, maybe you're skeptical, I don't know about that. 
let's connect it back to what we all want is great student achievement. And I'm going to back Patrick on this 100%. Vulnerability is that barrier to creativity, that barrier to wonderful solutions, that barrier to engaged learning. And so I want to demonstrate vulnerability. So I create an environment where students are willing to be vulnerable. And then once I have that vulnerability, I'm going to get that wonderful creativity, those wonderful, great solutions, that true engagement in all our tasks, because we have now created a safe, amazing, inclusive space. And it is founded on that whole notion of we not we need to be vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, do you think, Che, that now is a good time for us to throw it to our awesome segment? All our three enlightened minutes. That would be it. I can't wait for three enlightened minutes. One, not only because the minutes are, are great and we're going to learn something, we're going to hear something, but in regards to how we sort of found all these educators and these people that are engaged with teachers through Twitter and asking, you know, reaching out ourselves to people we thought were doing great work or people that have tagged people and said include them. It's been such wonderful learning, communicating and talking with people about what all the things are doing in the room. And we're so blessed to get to share them on our podcast. I feel our podcast is so enriched by having such a wide range of educators come and talk on something they really are very specialized in, in areas where we would be vulnerable, where we don't know everything. So this three enlightened minutes, I'm glad we keep getting these great guests and we're going to keep getting, we have such a long list of guests. We can't wait to share them all. We've really enjoyed these three enlightened minutes. They've made us better. They've made our podcast better. And we really hope the people that are participating have truly enjoyed the experience. And not to mention the listeners as well. I hope that we hope that you have been enjoying listening to all these different voices that we've had uh, in our episodes as well. And uh, today for our three enlightened minutes, we have Nick Mann of the Teacher Fit program. If you remember back to episode seven, we talked a lot about Nick uh, and his program, the Teacher Fit program, and how we came across it. And we thought it was fantastic that it was being incorporated in schools, focusing more on teacher fitness and teachers taking the time to work on themselves, not just, you know, focus on teaching a great gym class, but also taking the time for our own physical wellness and mental wellness as well uh, outside of the classroom or even at school before school starts or at lunch or after school. But this is the program that Nick is going to talk about. So we're going to throw it to you, Nick, with our three enlightened minutes. Hi, this is Nick Mann, founder of Teacher Fit, and these are my three enlightened minutes. TeacherFit is an online and app-based health and wellness program specifically designed for educators. For too long, educational professionals have been neglected when it comes to their mental and physical wellness, and that's why we exist, to give leadership of education and individual teachers the resources they need to take action, to take care of themselves mentally, physically, and emotionally. This all started from working in my local school system and realizing that the teachers that were having the most impact on their students were the ones that were healthy, the ones that had energy in their classroom, energy in the hallways, and energy in their after-school programs to get out and be the example to set for these students. Now, my goal for our program is to one day reach every educator around the world so that no longer is it acceptable for us to have a wellness program at the district or school level that's simply a PDF that says you should eat healthy and you should be active. We all know that, but what's important is for us to have the tools and resources to take action. 
in the future, I want to see after school programs for educators, before school programs for educators. Right now, we have schools across the United States and we're moving into Canada soon that meet Friday mornings and do yoga together. They meet after school Monday, Wednesday, Friday and do a bodyweight workout in their classrooms. And that's our goal to expand our program to hundreds and thousands of school schools so that we can set the example for our students to live a healthy life mentally and physically. We know if we're setting that example all day for our students, we'll be able to impact them to fight childhood obesity, to fight the mental health ec epidemic in our schools with our students and change the lives of our students forever. Thank you for listening to my three enlightened minutes. If you have any questions about teacher fit or our teacher fit mission, don't hesitate to reach out on any social media platform and we're more than willing to share our message with you. Now back to you, Che and Pav. Fantastic, Nick. I love those three enlightened minutes. Teacher fitness, so important to get yourself ready before you get in the class. Before you're ready to be vulnerable, you're pumped up, you're jacked up. More likely to just dive right in with that passion and that vulnerability when you're all jacked up, especially on three scoops of pre-workout. Uh, are we going to wrap this up now? Do I got time for a nap? I, uh, you can take a nap while I'm talking. Because uh, Okay, that's great. Okay, one, 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 one nap. One. I was about to say, are you going to question my nap? But you, you, you know me long enough to realize that once you hit over 40, it's socially acceptable to say I need a nap. You, you can't look at me. What? You need a nap? Uh, pardon me? Pardon me? 40 plus? If I need a nap... I get a nap. And, and you, yeah, sorry. And yeah, you're you're pretty good. You're pretty good with your naps. Like you need three minutes, and you're powered up and ready to go for the next. What's you, what you know at forty three? At forty three, if I need a nap, I, I just take a nap. Just take a nap. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so something that I wanted to touch on really quickly is um, another factor that I have found to being able to be more vulnerable in your class is being able to express your your expectations to the class to be able to set up your clear expectations with your class right from the get-go and this is something when I started teaching I was in the habit of I, I don't know I guess I learned at some point or somebody told me that you have to set up class rules at the beginning of the year so I would spend a lesson on the first or second day of school when nobody knew me these students didn't know me at all, and I didn't know them at all. And we would we would set up this list of class rules, and we would put it up on this chart paper, and we would hang it in the classroom, and everyone in the class would sign it because everyone is going to follow these rules for the entire year. And I didn't really get into stop doing that until a couple of years ago. It was it just became a habit and something to do in the beginning of the the school year. Until I actually became reflective of it, you know, at the end of the school year when that chart paper is starting to yellow and you look back at those rules and you think to yourself, did we even find any of those rules to be valid in this classroom? Am I always going to say you can't cut in during discussion time, you know, without putting your hand up? Is that always going to be the case, especially in my class where I don't enforce, I don't even enforce those rules all year long? So I stopped doing that. We stopped creating classroom rules at the beginning of the year. I don't know how the class is going to be at the beginning of the year. They don't know what I'm going to be like at the beginning of the year. So how is it fair to set family rules when nobody knows each other? It's not fair. So we stopped doing it. And instead, what we started doing was we started talking about what our expectations are with one another. So 
a clear expectation that students have learned with me over the past couple of months since school started is if I'm speaking, if I am delivering an important message, I find it disrespectful if other people are holding other conversations, not because I don't like to hear chatter happening in the classroom, but because I feel like you are not actively listening to the important information that I have to deliver. And I will always let you know when I am about to deliver important information. And so we've started to build this sort of rapport with one another. And it's to the point now where I don't need to verbally say anything. They are able to read my nonverbal cues and able to sort of pick up on my body language when I am ready to start speaking and they will start shushing each other. She's about to speak. Ms. Wander has to say something. And then I will thank them for all being ready to listen. And then we start talking and we have our discussion. There's a place for speaking. There's a place for speaking out. There's a place for interrupting each other. It's all part of active discourse in the classroom. And I respect that. And I encourage that in my room. But there's a place for it. And it's part of the expectations. And it helps you to be a little bit more vulnerable with your class as well, because they, they understand you a little bit better. And you don't have to revert back to a list that you created on the first day of school without even knowing each other. So that's my little story. My hand is up. My hand is up. My hand is up. Mr. Cheney. I remember that rules, those rules on the board. I think it was more like a scroll because <laughs> it went from the wall down to the floor, <laughs> yes. across the hallway, into the hallway, wrapped around halfway down the stairs. At that point, he said, I don't know if these are really being all that efficient. No. And they're all, they're all, sorry to cut in, they're all things that they have the expectation to say to you, right? It's, it's prescribed. They come to school and they've already been taught in the previous seven years of school that this is the rule that the teacher wants to hear in the classroom. So this is what we're gonna volunteer and my answer will be correct and Ms. Wander will say, yes, you are correct. That is a rule in this classroom, but that's not the case. Rule nine, <laughs> subsection A, point one five six dash seven. We do not interrupt the gym guy when he's in his anecdotal moments. <laughs> You're lucky I, I got this whiteboard of notes. <laughs> Ms. Wonder oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You did mix it up. I was like, what? What? You jumping in? Loved it. So it's time for an anecdotal story. So about vulnerability. It's one thing to sit here and talk about being vulnerable and being passionate. But where have I demonstrated where I've really become more vulnerable? I'm not a particularly good speller. In fact, I'm a horrible speller. So much so that my cursive is atrocious. I am mildly dyslexic. But it's something I've always worked really hard to cover up. And in covering up, this is why my cursive is atrocious. Because now you can't read. It's, it's, it's easier just to have messy writing than to have writing that you can't actually read because you can't spell anything. And I recall a few moments um, in teaching where I was terrified to be at the board. I was terrified to be writing something, terrified to be typing something because I was so worried I wasn't going to be able to get it right. And I would get all nervous. I'd start to sweat. I'd get all red. I would almost panic because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. And what were kids going to do? They were going to persecute me for the teacher that couldn't actually write something properly. And then I've learned to be more vulnerable with it. I've learned to accept the fact and discuss with my students being that inclusive. That As a teacher, I have a few great skill sets, but I also have a few things that I'm not very good at it and that it's a challenge for me and that I work at it. And ultimately, I still make spelling mistakes. I'm still very hesitant to write, but 
the students and the classroom sort of participate in it. We work together to help me out. No one mocks me when I can't spell things because we've talked about these issues in class. I've talked about my worries. I've talked about my fears. I've expressed where I struggle to spell things. So my bad writing becomes a bit of a joke, but it's a joke we're all comfortable with because everyone knows why my handwriting is atrocious. Because as a young man and student, I would disguise the fact that I couldn't spell anything with atrocious handwriting because it would look close enough that people would just complain about it being too messy, but never really worry or I had hidden well enough to be why I couldn't spell. And then as an extension, this is also why as an educator, I'm a pretty good talker. And we talked about this in one of our edgy chats. I think it was the uh, champs for kids that I'm a great talker um, in the sense because I've never been a very good writer. It's always been something that scares me. So it becomes the cover up. And as a teacher, when you express that to students, that your strength is often the flip of a coin of a weakness. All of a sudden, it becomes something we can work on, something we can share. So I've become far more vulnerable in opening up with my students about how difficult it is for me to spell things and why my cursive is actually a reflection of all the years I've spent hiding it. And so I want to be a better speller, and I do become a better speller, but I have obstacles um, that are tougher for me, tough for anyone to overcome. But when you make yourself and you open yourself up to your class, all of a sudden, I don't worry about it. I don't stress about it. That's an awesome story. And I, le- I really like the way that you uh, pointed out that your strengths are often the flip side of a weakness. And uh, that's I've never really thought of it that way. And I, th- I think that's pretty genuine and pretty awesome. Um, so uh, do we feel like maybe this is a good place for us to wrap up the episode? Absolutely. If we want to have a 13th episode, we better cut this off before we say we something we shouldn't. That's right. Yes. Uh, but no, it's uh, been a fantastic episode. I think that we've learned a lot from this episode from each other even. And um, even through our discussion, we've picked up on some things that maybe we didn't even intend to bring into the discussion, but we did. And it's been fantastic. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, Nick Mann and Teacher Fit Program for our three enlightened minutes. And thank you, Allison Carmichael, for these awesome hats, the second arrow hats. We received them this week and uh, we haven't taken them off yet. So Pretty awesome. We love them. And thank you for joining us. And we hope to see you next time in the staff room. Remember to inspire, don't require, and be a humble, humble servant. You've been listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. Written, performed and produced by Che Cheney and Pav Wanda in association with School Rubric, an online magazine and website designed for international and global educators. You can stay connected with Che and Pav by visiting their Twitter and Instagram pages. And also, check out their articles related to each episode on the School Rubric webpage. All links are provided in the episode write-up. The podcast is recorded weekly at their in-class studio and performed in front of a live studio audience. Be sure to join Che and Pav next week, because there's always something to talk about in the staff room.